Um, several years ago, I convinced my wife to watch uh, a, a, a movie. I convinced her to watch one of the great legal dramas, courtroom dramas. You know, who doesn't love a good courtroom drama? And this one, this legal uh, drama had, uh, had Tom Cruise in it, had Demi Moore in it, it had Kevin Bacon had Kiefer Sutherland, and it had Jack Nicholson. It had everything you could want in a legal drama. It had murder, had conspiracy, and it had a trial to uncover the truth. And it even gave us the famous scene with the famous line, you want the truth? You can't handle the truth, right? Great film. And as the credits were rolling and my wife and I were sitting on the couch, she turns to me and she goes, that was a really good movie. But why is it called As Good As It Gets? I said, wrong Jack Nicholson movie, sweetheart. The title of this movie was A Few Good Men. Now, we all love a good courtroom drama, right? Because trials are high stakes. Because trials, uh, the, the, trials are an important part of uh, le the legal process because what do trials do? They do two very important things, and this is to put it very simply. Um, trials are looking to do two things. The first is to discover the truth. That's what a trial is. They're trying to discover the truth. But then the second goal of a trial is to enact justice. Justice, to put it simply, is to put things right in the world. And today we're looking at the trial of Jesus. And the trial of Jesus, the story itself, plays like a good courtroom drama. There's intrigue, there's conspiracy, there's murder, there's suspense. And there's not a few good men in this story. There's only one. And he's as good as it gets, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Um, that was pathetic, you guys. That was pathetic. Um, but in the end, in the trial of Jesus, in the end, we discover what is true, and we discover what is right, and we discover the truth about who we are. We kind of peek in, and we get to see a little bit of what we're made of. We get to see who Jesus is, and then we get to see who we can become because of him. And so let's just jump into the story and just a little background. What has happened, if you were here last week, Jesus was arrested, which was, is a whole story unto itself. Jesus is arrested. He's taken away. Then Peter denies Jesus three times. We'll pick this story back up when we get to the end of John's gospel. Jesus is then brought to Caiaphas, the high priest, and the rest of the chief priests, the Sadducees, and they, or the Sanhedrin, and they question him. And Jesus says, hey, look, why are you guys questioning me? Everything I've done, I've done in public. I taught in the synagogues, I taught in the temples, I wasn't, I mean, it wasn't some backroom thing. Everything I did was in public. Why are you trying me like this? Let my words and my works speak for themselves. And with that, they slapped him, they struck him. And then this is when our text picks up. It says that then they, meaning the chief priests, they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters, this is the Roman governor's headquarters, this is Pilate. It was early in the morning and they themselves, they did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but so that they could eat Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and he said, well, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, well, if this man were not doing evil, we, we wouldn't have delivered him to you. And Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, well, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So let's pause here. What's going on? Why, why is this, uh, this order of events taking place? The chief priests were 
sort of the chief Jewish religious leaders and Caiaphas, the high priest, was sort of over them. And they want nothing more. They want Jesus tried and they want him executed. From the second Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, the religious leaders said, we want to execute Jesus. And now they are trying to bring that to pass. And so they bring him to Pilate, who is the Roman governor of Judea and over Jerusalem. And Pilate, they bring him to, to Pilate and Pilate said, well, what would this guy do? And their response is so weird because they say, well, if he weren't doing anything evil, we wouldn't have brought him to you. And you're like, that is the most non-answer of all non-answers you can ever come. What did this guy do? Well, don't worry about that. Like if he must've done something bad if we brought him to you, right? So, so from the beginning, you see that there's no charge against Jesus. The, 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 the chief priests have nothing on Jesus other than that they simply do not like him and that they're intimidated, they're threatened by him. So they bring him to Pilate. Pilate sees through their game and he says, why are you bothering me with this? Why don't you try him yourselves? And that's a good question. Why aren't the religious leaders trying Jesus and executing him themselves? Why are they bothering Pilate? Why are they bothering Rome with this? Well, here, the, the Jewish leaders are actually in a bit of a conundrum. They're in a situation here because they want Jesus dead. We know this. They want Jesus dead, but they've got to be really careful how Jesus dies. And they really have, there's really only two options for them. The first option is that they can kill Jesus illegally, probably by stoning him. And this wouldn't be beyond the, the chief priests. They've done it before and they're going to do it again. In the book of Acts, they stone Stephen without a trial. But Jesus is way too popular with many of the crowds and, and, and they realize that if they stone Jesus without a trial, it's going to make them look really bad. It could cause the crowds to revolt against them. And so they don't really want to do that. So their second option is that they can go through the proper channels to have Jesus charged with a crime and then killed by capital punishment. The problem is that Rome had stripped the Jewish leaders from the right, they had stripped from them the right to enact capital punishment. The Jewish leaders did not have the legal jurisdiction to sentence someone to execution. Only Rome could give the death sentence. So this is why they need Pilate. They know, but they also know that Rome's, they need Pilate because they need Jesus to be uh, sentenced to death. But they also know that Rome's official form of capital punishment was crucifixion on a cross. And see, the chief priests thought they were clever. There's this verse in Deuteronomy chapter 21 that says, anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. And the chief priests think they're so smart. They think that if they can convince Pilate to execute Jesus, that Pilate will execute him on a cross, and then they can point at him and say, ha, see? He's no Messiah. He's cursed by God. He's hanging on a cross. Deuteronomy 21 says, anyone who hangs on a tree is under God's curse. You see, their plan is not only to have Jesus killed, but it's to silence all of his followers and to put any sort of uh, belief that Jesus is the Messiah to death. They want him publicly shamed and they want to prove that he is cursed by God. And they think they're being clever, but they're actually playing into the sovereign hand of God. If you were here last week, I ask, who's in control here? Because the verse 32 says this was to fulfill the words that Jesus had spoken by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus has said all throughout the gospel of John, I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to be lifted up. Like, Mo, like the serpent in the wilderness, I'm going to be lifted up. So when they had him executed on a cross, lifted up, they're actually playing into the hands of God. They thought they were being clever, but God was a little bit more clever. Now, what's Pilate's situation? What's he doing in this story? We actually know quite a bit about Pilate from history. 
There's a lot of extra biblical sources that tell us a little bit about Pontius Pilate. He was born outside of Rome in a rural town in Spain. And he worked his way up within the Roman Empire, started as a soldier first, but then he married into power when he married the granddaughter of Emperor Augustus. So this sort of put him into the circle of power. And Pilate uh, loved the finer things in life. He was one of those kind of guys. He wants to succeed. He enjoys power and he enjoys the wealth and the celebrity that goes along with it. And history tells us that Pilate was ruthless in his pursuits. History also tells us that he was not a very good politician, that he was not a very good leader, uh, that he was one of those guys that was just way in over his head when it comes to leadership. And so this story where we pick up here, he's been the governor of Judea for some time now. And he has made, if you read history, he has made one political mistake after another. His approval ratings are on the floor. They're not good. And he's extremely unpopular, particularly with the Jewish people. And popularity for him among the Jews is very tenuous and his approval ratings are bad. And this is a problem because Caesar just want, that he knows, Caesar knows that Jerusalem is sort of this volatile situation and Pilate's job basically is to just maintain peace and maintain Rome's control and to do anything he can to stop a Jewish revolt. So that is, that is and he's kind of on watch from Caesar. It's like, hey, if anything gets any worse, you're out of there. And so Pilate is in this situation where the Jews can't stand him, but he needs their approval to continue having access to power. And so he's trying to, he he doesn't want to do anything to upset the Jewish people and cause a problem. This is Pilate's situation. And the story picks up in verse 33. So Pilate enters his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this on your own accord or did others say this to you about me? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not have been delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And then Pilate said, so you are a king. See, Pilate is trying to figure out here if Jesus is a real threat to him. He wants to know if Jesus is a king, if Jesus is going after Caesar's throne, or if he's going after Pilate's position, or he just wants to know, is Jesus just a nuisance for the Jewish leaders? He's trying to figure that out. Are you a king? Are you coming for Rome? Are you trying to start a revolt? What's your deal? What are you, Jesus? And Jesus answered, this is verse 37. He says, you say that I'm a king, But for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? So this question, are you a king? Jesus says, am I? Well, sort of. (laughs) But not in the way you think of a king, Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world, and my purpose is not to accumulate power but my purpose is to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate famously responds, what is truth? And it says, after that he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and he told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. And so here's what's happened. After a lengthy conversation, Pilate uh, is grasping for anything he can uh, to find a reason to kill Jesus, but he can't find anything. He can't find any guilt in Jesus. 
And Jesus is like, he's saying his kingdom is of another world. Pilate's like, he's no threat to me politically. He's just talking about heaven or something like that. That's no threat to me. He's not trying to overthrow Rome. He's no threat to Pilate. He's no threat to Caesar. Pilate cannot find any fault in him. And Pilate, you can tell he's starting to get nervous. He just wants out of this situation. This is an intra-Jewish squabble, and he wants none of it. So he tries to pass it back off to the Jewish leaders. And he comes to me, he says, I can't find anything wrong with him. But he knows that this will not be enough for him because they've, they are, they're hungry for blood. So he devises a plan. Again, he thinks he's being clever. Again, I ask who's in control here. Pilate thinks he's being clever and he thinks this will end the situation and let him get back to his life. And so what he, his plan is, he appeals to a Jewish custom where they would release one Jewish prisoner at Passover as a sign of goodwill between Rome and uh, the people of Israel. And so Pilate grabs possibly the worst guy in the prison and brings him out, this guy Barabbas. Barabbas is an insurrectionist. He's a robber. The Gospel of Mark says he's a murderer. And according to the law, Barabbas is deserving of death. He is on death row and he deserves what is coming his way. And Pilate says, who do you want to be set free? Jesus, this king of the Jews that you call him? Or do you want Barabbas? And Pilate thinks, sure, this guy's done nothing wrong. Surely they're going to pick Barabbas. This guy's a real threat to society. And to Pilate's amazement, they, cry, they shout, we want Barabbas. And look at verse 19, or uh, chapter, one, uh, chapter 19, verse 1. It says, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up saying, hail Jesus, hail King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said to them, see, I'm bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, behold the man. Pilate's being sarcastic here. And when the chief priests and officers saw Jesus, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Pilate knows what's right, doesn't he? He knows what's right, and he wants no part of this. But the Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. And when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Pilate is terrified here. Why is Pilate terrified? He's terrified because he's stuck. He's stuck between a rock and a hard place, to use the figure of speech. He has an innocent man before him. He knows he's innocent. He knows the right thing to do, but Pilate is torn. And why is he torn? He's torn because the Jewish leaders are demanding Jesus' death, and he knows that they will not stop until they get it. And Pilate knows that if he does not give the Jewish leaders what they want, then the chief priests will take their frustrations directly to Caesar, and Pilate will certainly lose his position. His power, his wealth, his luxury, celebrity, status, all of it will go away if he does not please the Jewish leaders here. So he has to make a choice between doing what is right and good and true and doing whatever it takes to maintain his status and his power and his wealth and his celebrity. He has to make a choice. In verse 9, it says, he entered his headquarters again, and he said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Sounds like a man trying to convince himself that he has authority, doesn't it? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And then look at this. This is so sad. 
and pathetic. From then on, verse 12, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement. And now it was the, the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to him, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to be crucified. So what, I mean, what do we do with a passage like this? What do we do? We, it's a well-known passage. It's a well-known account of Jesus being unjustly tried and sentenced. It's sort of enshrined in our beliefs. The Apostles' Creed says he suffered under Pontius Pilate. What do we learn from this? What can we learn from the behavior of Caiaphas and the behavior of Pilate? I confess that it's easy for me to look at a passage like this and judge with contempt the actions of Caiaphas and Pilate. And I think how cowardly these men were. But I want you to see that given this situation, some of us aren't much different than Caiaphas and Pilate, apart from the grace of God. You see, what we see in this passage is that Jesus was not the only person on trial that day. Yes, Jesus is the one who's on trial, but he's not the only person who's being tested that day. The convictions, the sincerity, and even the choices of both Caiaphas and Pilate were on trial that day. And we find out as the story plays out, do these men really believe what they say they believe? Do these men, uh, does the path that they've chosen for their lives, does it bring them life or death? Are these men bearing witness to the truth? And so the first trial we see is we see Caiaphas on trial. And this is a trial between comfortable religion and the way of Jesus. The comfortable religion is on trial. And the sincerity of of Caiaphas's stated beliefs are on trial. One of the most pathetic sights in the world is when a religious leader, a priest, a pastor, a Pharisee, or whatever, who is supposed to be an example of conviction and virtue and truth, one of the most, most pathetic things in the world is when a religious leader lays aside their convictions in order to gain power or proximity to power or to gain wealth or status. Nothing is more pathetic than that. I think of German priests and pastors in Nazi Germany. You have a photo like this. How sickening and how pathetic is something like that? They went along with the regime of Adolf Hitler. Why? Because they thought it was right and good and true? Absolutely not. But because they feared what would happen if they stood up against Hitler. They wanted power more than they wanted the truth of the gospel. One of the great tragedies in the Russia-Ukraine war right now is the way the leaders of the Russian Orthodox Church have fallen in line with Vladimir Putin. And they have essentially waged what they believe is a holy war on Ukraine. And they've abandoned the virtues of the love of Christ that they preach in order to cozy up to political power. I think of, you know, pastors during Jim Crow that partnered with the Klan because it gave them status or whatever. There is nothing more pathetic than a religious leader, whether it's a pastor, whether it's a priest, who abandons the truth of their religious convictions in order to cozy up to power or to gain wealth. This is what's going on with Caiaphas, and this is what's going on with the rest of the chief priests. Why did they want Jesus dead in the first place? 
Do you know why they wanted Jesus dead? They wanted Jesus dead because Jesus, by his life and by his teachings and by the things that he taught, the things that he did, by the people he spent time with, Jesus is holding up a mirror to the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of his day. Because Jesus, he loves the poor. He loves the sinner. He loves the outcast. He eats with sinners and tax collectors and drunkards. And, and, the, and the religious leaders were perfectly content to have those people be afraid of them. And they liked that fear. They liked imposing fear on people. But Jesus, by love, draws them to follow him. And he starts slowly chipping away at the, fa- at the, at the followers of, the, of the, the, the chief priests. Jesus persuades them with love, not with fear and not with position and not with all of those sort of things. And Jesus lives in a way that is, uh, he's, not, he's not obsessed with power. He lays his life down for the sake of others. He's not obsessed with money. He was a man who had nowhere to lay his head. And by living this life and by drawing people unto himself, he is exposing the hypocrisy of the chief priests. That they're in it for the fame, they're in it for the power, they're in it for the wealth, they're in it for the status. And, they, and, and he begins to pull followers away from them And he begins to threaten their positions and their authority. And for that reason, they want him gone. They were losing their grip on control because of Jesus. They they wanted the comfortable religious life. They did not want the way of Jesus. And in the most tragic moment of this whole story, I think, is this moment where Caiaphas, at the very end, Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? And Caiaphas, the chief priest of the people of God, the nation of Israel, chosen by God to be a people for his own possession, to be a light to the nations. They were not to have a king, but God. And Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests of the people of God say, we have no king but Caesar. What a pathetic moment. What a pathetic moment. These were, these were the people of God. They should have no other king but God. And in this moment, they say, we have no king but Caesar. They're exposed in this moment. These are not sincere religious men who live by virtue and conviction. These are men that use religion to gain what they really want, which is power and comfort and control and wealth. One author says, in this moment, Caiaphas is taking off his religious mask And he's saying, look, governor, we all play games and my game is religion, but I know the truth. It's all about power. So I have no king but Caesar. I admit it. Now I'm going to put my religious mask back on and I'm going to go on pretending that God is king, but you and I both know the truth. You see, there will be times in our lives where the sincerity of our faith will be put to the test and we will find out what we truly worship, whether we are playing a religious game, whether we're putting on a mask and coming to church or whether we truly worship Jesus for who he says he is and whether we truly want to follow him. It might be a situation where God calls you to do something in the world and you say, God, what I really want, what I really worship is comfort. That sounds too hard. I have no king but comfort and control. I don't want to do that, God. I don't want my religion to cost me anything. I just want it to benefit me. I just want it to make my life easier. I don't want you to call me to something new or greater. I just want you to give me a little peace as I go about the things I want to do. Or it may be that God calls you to give something up. And we say to God, "I, I don't want to let go of this. This is mine. 
This is what I really worship. See, our mask comes off. This is what I really worship. I have no king but my money. I have no king but my possessions. I have no king but my habits. See, the mask comes off and we find out what we truly worship. I think of the older brother. You guys know the story of the prodigal son. Guy goes off, squanders his inheritance, ends up rock bottom, comes back to his father. His father embraces him with open arms, says, welcome home, son. You are always loved. We're throwing a party for you. In the second half of that story, there's an older brother who's sulking in the corner, who won't go into the party. And he says, and his dad comes out to him, And he says, dad, all my life, I've been slaving away, doing everything that you asked of me. But then when this son of yours comes home, you give him a party. I've been here all along and I never got a party. You see, in that moment, the older brother showed his true colors. He has not been serving his father all these years because he loves his father. He's been serving his father because he wants his father's stuff. And he's no less guilty than his brother was who took it from his father and ran. See, Jesus often can hold up a mirror to our lives and expose what might be hypocrisy. And our, our religious convictions get put to the test. What do we really worship? You see, Jesus put Caiaphas and he put the sincerity of his belief on trial and Caiaphas was found lacking. We have no king but Caesar, he said. But then Pilate's on trial too. And in his trial, we see worldly comforts versus the way of Jesus. Put simply, Pilate was a man who loved the world. He loved wealth, he loved power, he loved authority, he loved celebrity, he loved pleasure. And he would do whatever it took to gain these things and he would do whatever it took to keep these things. And in the end, he was faced with a decision. Do what is right, and he knew what was right, or hold on to the things he really loved. That was his test, that was his trial, and he failed. And what's so tragic is that he didn't gain anything in the end. He kept telling Jesus about how much authority he had. Don't you know, Jesus, that I have the authority to free you or to crucify you? He had no authority. Pilate is the stereotypical politician who sticks their finger in the wind, you know, (laughs) tries to figure out which way the wind is blowing before making a decision. A politician who can't make a decision apart from a focus group or approval ratings. Now, who has the power in that situation? Does the person in the seat of power actually have it? No. The mob has the power because, the, because Pilate is controlled not by his own convictions, not by what he really wants. He's controlled by the mob because what he really wants is their acceptance and their approval so that he can keep doing the things that he loves. And so he keeps, he keeps protesting that he has all this authority, but the reality is that he is a slave to approval and success and acceptance because his mind was set on earthly things and he would do whatever it took to keep those things and he was enslaved to them. He screamed about how much authority he had, but in reality, he was a slave to his desires. And this was the trial for Pilate. Did Pilate love the things of the world more than the truth? And in the end, he, he proves that he had set his mind on earthly things and he was tossed about. And in the case of both Caiaphas and Pilate, what they, they wanted to gain the world and all the comforts within it. And in order to gain the world, they abandoned mercy, they abandoned righteousness, and they abandoned truth. And in the end, their lives both were tragic. Jesus spoke in Mark 8, 36. He said, what does it profit a man to gain the world if he forfeits his soul? And that's exactly what Caiaphas and Pilate both did. And Jesus said to Pilate, he said, look, Here's the truth. Pilate wanted to know what's true. Where is tr- what is truth? Where is life found? Where is fulfillment found? Where is joy found? Where, what is the way, Jesus? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. 
Therefore, do not set your mind on earthly things. Set your mind on that which is above. And he said, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now, what is the truth that Jesus bears witness to? It's this, you are loved by God. And he wants to show you the way to forgiveness, but also the way to new life. You do not have to be a slave to the things of the world like Caiaphas and Pilate. There is another way. Jesus said he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And you can follow him and you can listen to his voice and it will lead you into new life. It will not lead into a tragic ending like Caiaphas and Pilate, but it will lead to a new life. And we see this in another trial that took place that day, which was Barabbas' trial. And this is where we see our guilt and our shame and our old selves versus the way of Jesus. Who is Barabbas? Barabbas doesn't say a word in this story. But he was a man who, like Pilate and like Caiaphas, he had tried things his way, had, had tried things his way. He pursued his own ends, his own pleasures with full force in his life. And where did it lead him? It led him to a dungeon on death row. He knew he was guilty and he knew he was deserving to hang on that middle cross that next day at Calvary. But then one day, think about this. One day Barabbas wakes up and he hears this mob outside. And keep in mind, you know, he probably didn't hear what Pilate said. So Pilate gets up before the people and he says, do you want me to set Jesus or Barabbas free? And Barabbas doesn't hear that part. All he hears is, we want Barabbas. Then he hears a little bit more mumbling. What do you want me to do with Jesus? Crucify him. So Barabbas, he wakes up, he hears this angry mob outside and all he hears is his name and crucify him. Shortly thereafter, a guard comes down the hall, unlocks Barabbas' cell and begins to lead Barabbas upstairs. And Barabbas steps outside, the sun hits his face and when he finally sort of is able to catch, to stop for a moment and he begins to see, he sees a crowd of an angry mob in front of him. And then he looks to his left and he sees there's this man beside him. And this guy's completely silent. And he's on trial, but he doesn't seem scared. He seems non-anxious. He seems like he's unwavering. He seems confident. And there's something about what's in his eyes that there's something different about this man. And Barabbas is thinking, who, who, who is the, who's this guy? And then the guard comes up to Barabbas, takes a key, sticks it in his chains, clink, turns the key, and Barabbas' chains fall to the ground. And at that very moment, the guard shoves Barabbas into the crowd and says, you're free. You're a free man. And Barabbas stumbles and he turns around and he looks, and at that very same moment, they're pressing a crown of thorns onto this man's head. And they're putting a purple robe around his neck. They're mocking him. And then these razor-sharp whips come out and they begin beating him. And Jesus is carried off. And Barabbas is standing there going, what just happened? Barabbas was on trial that day, but the verdict was not what he expected. He was declared innocent and free and the cross that was being prepared for him would soon be carried by Jesus. Jesus. Because Jesus took Barabbas' place. Do you see? 
Who, who are we going to be? Are we going to be Caiaphas clinging to our religion? Are we going to be Pilate clinging to the things of the world? Or are we going to be Barabbas who just lets the chains fall off and we receive the mercy of Jesus? 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isaiah 53.5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Who are you going to be? Caiaphas? Going to be Pilate? You're going to be Barabbas? You know, many of us, we pursue lives like Caiaphas and Pilate. Caiaphas was respectable. He was a good-looking religious guy. We think, hey, that would be the life for me. Pilate had everything. He had wealth. He had status. He had celebrity. And we look at these men and we go, they've got what I want. And so we pursue these things. But in this story, it is Barabbas whose life path is the one that Jesus is calling us to. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus says. Not blessed are the high priests. Not blessed are the rulers and the authorities. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In this story, there are two tragic characters, Caiaphas and Pilate. They sought their own lives to the very end and they lost their souls in the process. But then there's Barabbas, who is a picture for us of the gospel. He does nothing, says nothing, and yet he walks away freer than Caiaphas and Pilate. And he begins a new life. What does Barabbas do? He receives the forgiveness of Jesus. Jesus took his place. And this is the invitation that Jesus offers to you. Are you going to keep striving? Are you going to keep trying to, are, are you going to keep your eyes on all these other things or are you simply going to let Jesus take your place and let him give you a new life and give you the resurrected life? This is what he gave to Barabbas and this is what he offers to you and me. People ask, what's Christianity about? Is it really about power? Is it really about politics? People want to know. What does your church really believe? What are you really about? There's no hidden agenda with Jesus. It's not about politics. It's not about power. It's about setting prisoners free. And we can be free. Let's pray. God, thank you that you stood accused and you remained silent. You stood in our place. And just as you took the chains from Barabbas, And you took the cross from Barabbas. You take the chains from us. You take the guilt, you take the shame, and you give us new life. And just like Barabbas walked free that day, God, you stepped out of a tomb three days after your death, and you invite us into a life of freedom. And so, God, I pray that we would follow you, that we would not set our minds on the things of this earth, but we would set our minds on you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.